a need to get better at bringing that kindness and approach to, <laughs> to being very empathetic to myself. I think I can be very hard and critical on myself. And I think when I was younger, I used to be a bit nervous about applying to things or doing certain things and being actually a bit cautious for fear of failure. But as we all know, and the way that I think they're very interconnected is if you don't do it at all, you're not going to succeed. And actually quite often through the failures, you do learn something and they promote the success. So rather than comparing yourself to other people, actually supporting people and learning from other people. And so I think it's very intertwined and you shouldn't think about your personal success or your personal failure, but more you can learn from others and it's very interconnected. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Zara Bryson is a Strategy and Innovation Director at Publicis Media, one of the four solution hubs of Publicis Group, comprised of Starcom, Zenith, Digitas, Spark Foundry and Performix, and powered by digital-first, data-driven, global practices to deliver client value and business transformation. Zara's self-confessed love of maths and a degree in law has made her a collaborative, strategic problem solver. She values lifting others up, encouraging curiosity and fostering a compassionate, fun, growth mindset culture. Zara is the current Head of Purpose and Impact at Bloom UK, a volunteer-led network of women in the communications industries, championing their real voices and focused on spearheading positive industry change and paying it forward to the next generation. She founded a bi-weekly podcast, Who's Next with Zara Bryson, to shine a light on brilliant women to champion them and for others to learn from. Each guest pays it forward to someone they personally find an inspiration. Zara received the Wackle Women in Advertising and Communications London Future Leaders Award in 2018 and was recognised as a Kindness and Leadership 50 Leading Lights, part of the Women of the Future programme in November last year, recognising the contribution of kind leaders to business, the economy and society. I grew up in like northwest London in Harrow. Probably when I was growing up though, I thought it was London, but really we were really much, very much on the outskirts and pretty much in suburbia. So yeah, Harrow was where I grew up and I uh, lived with my mum and my brother and was raised by my mum who is just an incredible. She's very focused on like achievement and education because she didn't get a chance to go to school herself. So that was what she instilled in us when we were very young and the importance of being curious and just like trying really hard. I think that's sort of the approach. She was like, you know, there's a way to do anything, give it a go, which only probably on reflection years later, I think I realized is actually a really great way mm. to be good. 
I was going to ask you that because I think when you're a kid you don't recognize what your parents are trying to do or how they're trying to help you or facilitate things for you but now in retrospect I'm sure there's a lot of things that you can see that she was really trying to help push you forward like not push you forward you know like move you on and help you develop yourself totally and probably at the time I was thinking you know she's always like oh you can do more you can do more and I know um, Jackie Scully has this thing which talks about of finding your edges Mm. Um, like as a young person or a teen I'd think a lot of pressure to keep trying to be better but I think it was more just actually keep trying rather than it being about the actual achievement so yeah uh, at school, I was very curious, like probably annoyed the teachers massively by like, <laughs> questions and a bit of an, probably a little bit of a know-it-all, but not realising that that was a thing. Like at home, my mum used to record, Carol Vorderman had these maths TV programmes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like, 100% used to think that was like TV time. Like, my mum definitely tricked me in a very smart way. So That's very clever. Yeah, so I'd be like <laughs> on TV, basically watching like maths videos. And so at school and growing up in this sort of suburbia with a mum that was just very focused on education and curiosity, I literally had so much energy and so much interest and curiosity that I was just put into like every after school activity to almost like burn off some of that, <laughs> that energy. Um, I used to do ballet, tap, jazz, judo, swimming, dancing. My mum, I think, was literally like, right, you need to, <laughs> to just try out lots of different things and all of this energy and curiosity. So it was really interesting. And actually, again, obviously looking back, I was meeting lots of different people, doing lots of different things. And one of the things that is really important to me now is variety. And I think it was from that young age, my mum could see that I'd get bored quite quickly. I'd definitely be the one that would race through the work and then just be distracting and chatting to, to other people. And... I think it was like middle school, they created some, they called it the Eagles or something cheesy like that, where they'd take out the kids who had finished the work quickly and just give them creative projects to do. So like, go do something around like the Egyptians or something. And on reflection, that was really good because it channeled that energy and curiosity and probably wasn't irritating the teachers as much. And then where I grew up, the schools kind of had filter systems, but my mum was really keen to get me into like a grammar school she thought I'd have better chances of having a better education but also I think she just thought that's somewhere where I would thrive so I left my primary school a year early and was put in for like the entrance exams and I had no idea of the significance or why my mum was so focused on that but actually obviously on reflection that was a great opportunity because the school that I ended up going to all of the friends that I made there I'm still friends with today it was very much like a growth mindset school and really encouraged us to be curious about all different areas. It's, it wasn't just like, oh, be good at maths or be good at this, mm. but it very much developed everything. It's just quite interesting because it probably got to a point and it got to A-levels where I actually didn't really know like what was the one subject that I wanted to do. And it's interesting speaking to friends who've got very different experiences where they had like a real talent in one area and it was really fostered and they became almost a specialist almost at school so by the time they got to university they would go and do art or this or that or the other and I had this weird thing where I really liked creativity I really liked history and politics but I also loved maths and so I, I definitely had this period at school where I was thinking I don't really know what to do a bit of an identity crisis of, shall I go off and do maths at university shall I do law like I, I had no idea right until the last minute that was one of those things where it's good to have options but at the time I was a little bit like I don't know which direction to go so I, 
ended up going off and studying law but really it was like a flip of a coin of whether <laughs> law or maths which is a bit of a weird thing to say and again I think it's that thing where you connect the dots backwards I realize now that creativity and maths and having a curiosity and a hunger to like learn is a positive it's not actually necessarily that you have to be especially when you're so young like a specialist in a particular area but actually mm. connecting with those dots is something which now as a strategist is really useful and so sometimes finding inspiration in slightly weird places yeah um, I always think as well that I know from my own personal experience if I'd have gone to university maybe even two or three years later I might have actually had a better idea of what it was that I wanted to do because like you say when there's a proliferation of things that you may be interested in and you don't necessarily want to pigeonhole yourself I guess into doing one thing or another I think if you maybe had another couple of years to figure that out more you might then also find that there's a course at university that does maths and creativity or you know some kind of hybrid thing because obviously the world keeps moving but would you think that do you think if you maybe had another couple of years you would still have gone and studied law or do you think it was the right choice for you? It's so interesting isn't it I definitely think that the way that we're educated and the way that we like, have to make those choices at the age of 18 means that you probably aren't ready to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. And I mm. always think it's that, that thing of, I don't know, and I'm a great believer in not wishing something was different in the past or, or thinking like, oh, I regret doing this, that or the other. I don't know if it would have been any different two years later, to be honest. And I think we should almost be encouraging people if they're not ready, like don't go to university yet, and I did actually take a gap year, but I think it's more that thing of just because you do a degree in law or a degree in maths, that's not the end. It's some skills that you're learning on the journey. But I think there's a lot of pressure for people to believe that that is the route that they're taking. And, you know, with the likes of Sarah Ellis and Helen Tupper and the squiggly career and stuff, it's just this mindset, actually, that you can make different choices. You can go down one path and then actually realise it's not the right one and reverse yeah. back up with new skills that you might not realise at the time are building for something else but they will be useful I think at the time I just put probably I thought there was um, a lot of pressure on choosing the right course and I think probably my advice to people if they were at that stage now is do something you enjoy actually that would probably be the main thing just do something you enjoy and then you'll find your your mm. path in a different way I suppose also though studying law people would expect you to go on to be a, a lawyer or a solicitor or a barrister or something like that which you didn't do that did you what was your first job out of education yeah so and um, it's like the most asked question people are like why, why, why? <laughs> I'm sure it is you realize you studied law um, <laughs> so I kind of went to university thinking okay I'm going to be a lawyer I'm going to change the world I'm really going to be interested in human rights law I'm going to petition to do this that and the other and I really kind of saw that as like that's going to be my identity and my path and when I got to university, I, I found it fascinating. I actually love studying law, but I had this slight identity crisis where the things that I really enjoyed were like company and tax law. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this isn't really the, the path that I was planning on going on. And I did some mini pupillages at Barristers Chambers and absolutely loved that. But realised from that that actually incredible people who are able to do human rights law and immigration law and stuff but I was like wow I definitely get too emotionally involved <laughs> and so it's just a, a very interesting learning experience of okay maybe this isn't the path that I want to go on and although I was learning how to make connections how to 
argue how to problem solve through the degree straight after university a little bit like you said of that idea of are you ready to make a decision I just wasn't ready to make that decision of going into the very lengthy and a lot of effort money and work to become a barrister and so I thought okay, I need to pause and it was in recession time so I thought I was going to get a job and went into research and insights because that is an area where it's around asking questions and curiosity and making connections and so I kind of fell into data and insights which I suppose is harking back to maybe a little bit of the kind of maths and problem solving side of things but it wasn't like oh when I grow up I want to be a data and insights person at all I just applied to a job after university and it's as literally as not as glamorous at all it's just I thought okay I need to get a job got this job and through that started seeing okay what are the things that are really important to me I am curious I do like the idea of connecting dots connecting data with storytelling and creativity and that's when that connection started to come to life that I understood that you can be interested in the creativity and problem solving the kind of law things of creating a solution out of lots of different areas but also be interested in more the numbers and how they become storytelling pieces of the puzzle and I kind of went from there into wanting to get closer and closer to the solution and finding that actually being a researcher and a data specialist wasn't enough I wanted to get into the strategy and so set out and embarked on trying to get into strategy because that was the thing that I thought was the next thing that I really wanted to do and that's how I ended up in advertising strategy. It's really interesting to hear you you speak now because I know you through Bloom and the work that you do there and obviously hearing your background and what your motivations were I I would arguably say that you have found the creative outlet through Bloom so can you explain more about how you got involved with them what they are what they do and what your role is now? Totally and actually a little shout out to your book congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. But I think that's a great point. You are so much more than your job and you can have all of these different passions and strengths that can play into your work, but also outside your work. So a great question. So I happened upon Bloom very much by mistake. (laughs) It was in an interview for the Wackle Future Leaders Award right at the end. I'd been talking about some fundraising that I'd done. I used to volunteer at Hospital Radio when I was growing up, which I absolutely loved. And one of the things I was talking about was that, and I was talking about how important my friends are to me. And at the end of the interview, they were like, oh, are you part of any networks? And I was like, this is really awkward because the last question, I'm going to say no. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of as I was walking out the door and I really thought it was kind of like the dear John. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) come back after you've networked yourself a bit better. Um, But again, I did actually get the Future Leaders Award grant that year. And I think actually what they were saying is you have all this passion, all of this energy for helping other people, for connecting with people. You should probably get involved in something where you can channel that. And so the last thing they said to me was going look up Bloom. I think you should apply. You'd really benefit from it. So I did like very diligently, literally straight after I thought, okay, well, that hasn't gone well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I will find out what Bloom is. Sounds great from what they said. And as I went home, literally Googled it, applied and didn't think too much of it. So Bloom is a women's network that has been growing a lot over the past few years, but it's very much focused on paying it forward to the next generation of women, spearheading industry change. There's a lot of inequality in our industry and beyond. How can we kind of come together as a collective group and make that change happen? 
and also really focused on real voices and everyday actions, which I love. And there's also a charity partner, Women's Aid, which is amazing. So all of the kind of proceeds of fundraising activity goes to Women's Aid. And you asked, was that where I channeled some of my creativity? And I suppose what I've realised now is you can, you can and you should bring your passions to work, but also outside of work. So I probably am very similar at work as I am in Bloom. At Bloom, it's more in the service of lifting other women up, which I'm super passionate about, and equality, and actually connecting people and something that I used to think was that networking was this like awkward thing where you're like standing around with a glass of wine and (laughs) trying to make polite chit chat whereas actually through meeting all these amazing women you just think all of these connections it's just a way to support each other it's a way to learn you can help other people they can help you and you're just a lot more successful and powerful as a collective so Yeah, I don't know actually if that answers your question. No, it does. But also you're the current head of purpose and impact. And I love both of those words, (laughs) purpose and impact. But what what does that mean on a relatable level? So when I got involved in Bloom, because my background is in strategy, I was very much focused on, okay, what are the big topics that we need to have events on or focus on or help women with to spearhead industry change and to kind of live up to the purpose of Bloom? And I was co-head of strategy last year. And what became more and more apparent was for the women who were part of Bloom, it was this incredible and quite like life-changing. People had built these amazing friendships. They had built their confidence, which I think is like one of the most important things. So one of the key things that Bloom does, it's a massive mentoring scheme paying back to the next generation of women. And that was brilliant in the area of Bloom, people who were able to experience it. But then we wanted to ensure that that was going beyond just Bloom Mm. members that you know women talking about gender equality and trying to make change is one thing but how is that echo chamber broken and how do we ensure that that purpose is impacted beyond so the new role for this year and as you say it's a great title and I think it is two really important words is how do we align our purpose as a now kind of very growing organization I think it started 11 years ago with 30 people and it's now over 500 so a rapid amount of growth but that purpose that I talked about around making change and driving equality how do we amplify that even more and how do we have more impact on women's lives but also the industry there are lots of big things that need to change whether it be around menopause policies and the fact that women's lives are over a certain time with midlife and beyond you see women disappearing out of the industry and actually it's almost like the businesses and organizations just aren't set up to enable women to thrive so how can we change that things about women being told that they've got imposter syndrome or they don't have enough gravitas but actually are the companies that they're in fostering and trying to support them get the best out of them probably not so I think actually taking these big meaty issues and translating them into change in the industry is what this team are focused on and making the brilliant stuff that Bloom's already doing more impactful and seen in the wider industry. So it's not a a surprise when someone (laughs) is told to join Bloom at the end of an interview. I think also with Bloom, the thing that I found most useful, because this is my second year as part of Bloom, and the mentoring part for me, I loved it. I literally, I met a girl, I don't know whether it was just the affinity that I had with my mentee, but for you, and obviously the importance of mentorship and coaching and things like that. Who's been that person for you 
who would you say is there a person in particular or it might even have been a moment or something that's maybe made you rethink your approach or something like that but what has been either your standout moment or your standout person uh, I would totally agree with you mentoring and coaching is so important and I think it's it's interesting isn't it because even as you mentor someone else you realize how important that is for you you're learning from that as well but yeah it does make you think back to those moments in your life and it's one of my favorite things about Bloom is that giving back to other people and those small things actually make a big difference in people's lives so for me if I look back I've just I've been really I'd say I've been really lucky probably sounds like a bit of a cheesy thing to say but the first boss that I had was very encouraging and also he just didn't fit the mold so I feel like that was a great person to have as my first role model after university he was in a quite a corporate organization but very much doing his own thing so I think that was like lesson number one was you can just be whoever you want to be in your organization and do it your own way mm. and then in more recent years I had a brilliant boss at Starcom he's no longer there he went and set his own bike business called Simon but he was incredibly encouraging of me to try different things and go on different training courses I thought it was normal just to be allowed to go on like whatever training course you want. <laughs> it's really not no <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so like now I look back and I think, crikey, that was brilliant. I was able to just go and do like a mini MBA, did some course on experimentation, as well as like this neuro-linguistic programming course. Wow. And so I was doing all of these things that really fascinated me. And there've been lots of other people along the way, but I think in terms of lessons, showing up to work and just being yourself and doing it in your own slightly quirky, random way, yeah. like the first box uh, Sammy, which was a great lesson to be told very early on not having to fit into some structure and then also the importance of encouraging your team and fostering their desire for learning like if you have someone on your team who wants to learn that is like the best thing in the world you really have to encourage that growth mindset so I'd probably say they're two of the people but I've been really lucky through Bloom I've met amazing people and actually I've got to the point actually I'll, I'll mention the third I'm sorry I know you no you it's said, fine <laughs> But you know when you have those self-limiting beliefs, which we all do, they're just those little nagging away that's stopping you going yeah. into the areas that you really want to. Oh, yes. And always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I had something in my head where I clearly, deep, deep down, really wanted to write. Like, very deep down. I hadn't even admitted it to myself. But then felt a lot more comfortable chatting to people, supporting people, encouraging people. So I just never touched it. And actually probably the self-limiting belief was like, oh, you can't write, you're not a good writer. Leave that alone, leave that over there for other people who are really good at writing. And then a couple of years ago, I met this like brilliant woman who we now every Monday morning meet to write together just before work, just on Zoom at the moment because <laughs> of lockdown. And I had written, I'd been asked to write an article about something, but it was like, honestly, the first time that I was putting my writing out there. And I literally was like going through this whole wave of, I shouldn't be writing, why am I writing? Who am I to write? And all of this stuff. And she, her name's Dean Gornick. She's a, an executive coach. And I met her actually through my podcast and the Bloom Network. And she's just a brilliant person. And she was like, right, enough, enough of all that. Just read it out for me. Yeah, stop, stop that now. Come on, let's crack stop on. That now. Yeah. <laughs> And she got me to read out this article that I'd written. And I don't know, there was almost some power in reading out the words. And she was like, that's really good. Does it feel good? And I was like, yeah, it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, okay, keep writing. And I was like, 
Um, I think, yeah, I think also sometimes when you have to say something out loud, you have to own those words, don't you? You become accountable for them. And there's a fear in that because you're like, oh, who, what's they, what are they going to think? Are they going to judge me? Is this good enough? But as soon as you say it out loud, it's out there. So even that in itself is a big mountain to get over. Totally. And actually, in terms of going back to mentoring, that's something that when I see that people have got a blocker, especially about writing, that's a great piece of advice that I'm able to pass on. And if, yeah. you know, someone's doing an application for something and they say, oh, can I send you my answers? I'll say, let's hop on a call and he'll just read them out to me. Because when you read something out, you realise whether it is actually reflective of your voice mm-hmm. or not. So, yeah, that's just not only a great role model and person to help me through that mental blocker that I had but also it's a great piece of advice to carry on mm. passing on to other people as well. So across all of the work that you've done is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? It's so tricky isn't it and, and like when you kind of sent through these questions about being proud about stuff or like success I don't have one thing and I always think there shouldn't be like one thing and I as someone who loves achievement and is very focused on achievement this is like almost hard for me to get my head around Mm. but I think it's really easy to think okay it's this award or that there are lots of things I'm proud of raising money for women's aid genuinely that I'm very proud of to be any part of that because I think it's an amazing thing to do but I think it's the more mundane things <laughs> that I'm proud of. So knowing that at work I will drop something and be able to be there for someone and really try and create like a supportive environment similarly at Bloom. And so I think probably the thing that I'm most proud of is the relationships and very supportive friendships that I have nurtured and hopefully it's clear that that's how I show up at work and at Bloom. Because I think it's those sort of daily very small actions that you make that are the things that sum up to be what you're proud of so it's not I feel like maybe I'm evading the question no I think it's a really lovely answer because that's the bigger achievement isn't it just having those relationships and nurturing them consistently yeah so how did you first hear about the women of the future program and what inspired you to get involved so um I mentioned Jackie Scully earlier who is an amazing woman and actually, I should be very grateful for the Wackle Future Leaders Award, actually, because apart from an interview that introduced me to Bloom, I also just met loads of amazing, amazing women through it. And Jackie was one of those women. And I don't even really, you know, when you just think, how did we, like, how did someone become so embroiled in my life? Like, I have a lot of those people who then I speak to all the time. And I'm like, when did we first <laughs> start chatting and becoming friends and supporting each other? But last year over lockdown, I could just see that lots of people I know who are really brilliant were struggling. And because everyone was suddenly like lots of different things happening in life, whether it's family members being ill, this, that, or the other. And so I created these little meditation WhatsApp groups, just bringing together lots of different people that I know who I think are brilliant, completely different spheres of my life. And Jackie was one of those people. And so we were just talking a lot through lockdown, doing these like daily meditations. And I also then started a creativity course as well with Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, which is a brilliant book of uncovering creative block, which was also one of the things that got me writing. Mm. And I was introduced to the Women of the Future Network through her. She actually very kindly nominated me for the Kindness and Leadership 50 Leaving Lights. Mm. And discover this like amazing 
network of brilliant people, Pinky Lalani is just an absolute shining light and wanting to change working culture. Yeah. And she's incredible. She's incredible. And this thing which probably had been subconscious for a while, that kindness wasn't a strength or something where people are like, oh yeah, Zara's very nice or she's there if you like need to ask her a question or something. Like that was the narrative I had in my head that at work being kind was the right thing to do. So I didn't really think of it as a leadership strength. Mm. Um, and so I think the really amazing thing that women of the future are doing through the 50 leading lights in kindness and leadership is actually really recognizing that we need to change this idea of alpha, often quite toxic leadership, and that there is like another way and that it's a very strong and powerful approach. It has great business results. It makes people happier. It makes organizations have a better culture. And so that's kind of how I was introduced to the Women of the Future Network. Right, I have some quick fire questions yeah. just to finish. They're not, oh, entire, they're not entirely easy. <laughs> what would you describe as your greatest success? Um, um, my greatest success, I think, I suppose this goes back to the question you said, that this is so not quick fire, but... <laughs> I think success and failure are so intertwined. So I feel like that's going to be the next question. It is, yeah. What's your greatest failure? You can do both together. Let's do both together. Um, So to do both together is I think my greatest success is my approach to lifting others up, encouraging others, and actually having a desire to change culture. And so it's not, as I said, with that kind of what am I proud of, it's not the big shiny, like winning this award, winning that award but actually reframing it and understanding that it's just so important mm. to support others and not compare yourself to others. So the way it ties into my biggest failure probably is a need to get better at bringing that kindness and approach to, <laughs> to being very empathetic to myself. I think I can be very hard and critical on myself. And I think when I was younger, I used to be a bit nervous about applying to things or doing certain things and being actually a bit cautious for fear of failure but as we all know and the way that I think they're very interconnected is if you don't do it at all you're not going to succeed and actually quite often through the failures you do learn something and they promote the success so rather than comparing yourself to other people actually supporting people and learning from other people and so I think it's very intertwined and you shouldn't think about your personal success or your personal failure but more you can learn from others and it's very interconnected. Yeah, comparison is the thief of joy, as they say. Totally. And like probably when you're younger, you think because you are compared because it'll be who's the fastest, who's... Yeah, you're encouraged to be competitive, aren't you? It's all encouraged when you're a young person. Completely. And I think actually competition is one thing that it's better to do just for yourself. So sure, have high standards and be competitive. And I think that's one of the things you can not be focused on comparison and still be competitive and driven and they're not mutually exclusive it's just you're not trying to compete with other people and compare yourself to other people but you're just trying to set the standards that you want for yourself and do well for yourself I think that's something which probably took a while to realize and it's just something that's so embedded into everything I do everything I think about and how it's so important to give first to support other people because you're not really in competition with them and you're all developing and winning by supporting other people. Feeds nicely into my next question. I mean, you might have already answered it, to be honest, but the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? 
totally. Um, I think it's that whole lift others up. It's a slight mantra I have, but you realise that the more that you build friendships based on genuinely being there for them, supportive of them, interested in their successes and genuinely really happy for their successes and authentically happy for them, you will cultivate and have people around you who will do the same for you. I think kindness is and collaboration is all about really focusing on genuinely wanting to support other people and also being aware that you need support too. Yeah, that's kind of my approach of kindness and collaboration. Is there anything that scares you? I'm actually quite a big scaredy cat. <laughs> what are you scared of? I'm scared of so many things, <laughs> honestly. And it's so funny because I think people don't really expect me to be such a scaredy cat because I think they think, oh, you're involved in lots of different things. Like, you must be really brave. You know, like, even at school doing all of these different things or even now being involved in Bloom, having a podcast, being very active in lots of different networks at work. But now I'm, I'm really scared of loads of stuff. <laughs> and like, I actually look at loads of other people and I'm like, wow, they're all so brave. You know, I'm the sort of person who at a fairground or whatever, I just don't go to them. <laughs> Honestly, my idea, absolute nightmare. <laughs> I'm not an adrenaline junkie. So yeah, I am scared of loads of stuff, like even scared about putting writing and stuff out there. But mm. what I am slowly realizing as you have to do more of those things that scare you <laughs> I signed up to this course this thing that's running over last week this week and next week called the uncertainty experts Ooh. and it's really fascinating because it's just cementing some concepts and ideas that I've been thinking about for a while of you know do I not like roller coasters or do I think that I'm scared of them so I just mm -hmm. never go on them I mean that's I actually interesting. Think, yeah I actually think I don't really like them because I have been <laughs> But if I think about something else, if I think about, you know, people say, like, I'm scared of public speaking, I don't want to do it. But actually, one of the experts on this course last night was saying, we need to train ourselves in uncertainty and these fears and almost take small dose, like yeah. on fear. And so I think that if you notice something that you're scared, of, I'm not talking about fairgrounds here, because actually I <laughs> I, I literally put a blanket thing out there to my friends. This isn't like, a non-negotiable. It's not happening. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I actually just get motion sickness. Oh, <laughs> like that's, well, that's fair enough, yeah. yeah. But for other things, so I noticed that I was getting a little bit nervous about writing things. But I've started to think about things and think, okay, if I'm nervous about something, should I just go ahead and do it? Because I'm probably going to learn from it. So recently I talking about kind of failure or whatever like I, I didn't get a course that I really wanted to get on I was like oh that's a bit of a pain and then I thought to myself I bet loads of other people feel like this and then yeah. I thought well, wouldn't it make me a bit vulnerable if I just I don't know shared an update on LinkedIn that wasn't like oh I got on it because obviously I didn't but like usually that's what you go to LinkedIn for to yeah say, like, I've got this new job or whatever and I thought I might just say I didn't get this thing I'm a bit gutted and then I thought god that makes me feel a bit vulnerable and that made me think actually I should do it then and then I got loads of lovely comments, but also people messaging me saying that they had tried out for this course and not got it. And it was really nice to see someone being kind of authentic and open about it. And so I think this idea of fear, and I'm so sorry, because I realised this was a quick fire round. <laughs> no, this is all great. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> um, but this idea of fear, we need to reframe and one of the people in the talk that I went to yesterday was talking about how we're very much 
as we grow up and when you're at school and like we were talking about earlier you're not really trained in uncertainty or things going wrong and so actually if you're very academically successful and I, I was at school like I was really good at school and I, I found it quite easy then you sometimes and I think this was definitely true of me you almost get a bit cautious because you think okay well lots of things have worked so far yeah um, I haven't really got loads of experience and when things don't work out <laughs> and, then really it, interesting. and then it becomes like a bigger thing in your head because you think oh god what does that mean for me as someone who has had lots of achievements and does well what does that mean if I start doing things that don't go well and I think we just have to reframe that and that goes back to the failure and success thing where honestly you learn so much more from things that don't quite work out or you apply for something and then you don't get it but then you think oh actually maybe that's not what I want I want to do this or you think I'm really scared of writing I'm really scared of presenting I don't want to run a panel or whatever mm. and then you think but what if I did what if I tried that and it wasn't a total disaster I would be someone different then because you've conquered one of your fears so it's tricky for me it doesn't come naturally because as I said I'm a bit of a scaredy cat and a cautious carol <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think my kind of goal is to keep stepping towards those things that I notice a bit of resistance or that make me a bit scared because they're always the things that you develop more on. Yeah I completely agree and I think listening to you then two things come out of that for me like you say reframing so if you are doing a talk how about thinking that everybody who's listening to you wants you to do well they all want you know to be positive and to get the most out of it and they want you to perform not perform you know or speak to the best of your ability but also yeah. most of what you just said comes under the banner of comfort zone, whether you're operating within it or you're pushing yourself out of it and things like that. So I find it really interesting just to hear your lived experiences of all of that, but also how you're paying it forward to try and encourage others. And like you said earlier, lift others up to be the best that they can be. Totally. And I think sometimes these things can always seem like a a secret and then when you discover it you think oh Nikki, why did no one tell me this yeah yeah um, there needs to be more transparency I think people like you say people need to be their authentic selves more and say when things are rubbish but as well as saying when things are great and then other people know that it's not just them and it's not just social media is terrible isn't it for oh isn't everything wonderful and you're right the counterbalance yeah. needs to be more prevalent than it currently is totally and I, I remember there was a colleague of mine at, at work who women in the office used to sit next to me and just in passing once he was like I hate presenting and then I was like a little bit like a dog with a bone and I was like oh you do realize that it's basically just practice and also talking about things you're passionate about and also realizing that you don't have to change your tone of voice or be any different mm. uh, it's just talking and he was like oh no Zara this is going to be one of those things isn't it <laughs> it is going to be one of those things but then I said you know maybe speak to your boss and see how you can just get like a regular slot in your team yeah. meeting and it's so funny we then ended up checking in a lot and now I can see he's an absolutely brilliant presenter and it's nothing it's nothing to do with me but it's to do with the fact that that myth busting mm. of it's a scary thing where you have to change you have to be really formal you have to know all of the potential questions someone might ask you and I, I was just saying to him, you don't, you can just say, I don't know. Um, I'll come back to you on that. There's not really anything scary that's going to happen when you present to a room of people. And the more of yourself you can bring to it, the better. And so I think it is also about myth busting these things that we're really scared of and digging into a bit deeper and being like, what am I actually scared of? Mm. Like, am I scared people are going to judge me, as you say? 
most people just want you to do well no one wants to watch someone who's like crumbling and have almost yeah. like a sadist <laughs> yeah maybe yeah <laughs> but generally people really want people to succeed and so it's like reframing some of these fears and sharing that and mentoring and checking in with other people who probably have a better perspective on you going back to my failure of being a bit harsh on myself like it's really important to surround yourself with people who can give you that more objective sense check on things as well what's left on your to-do list <laughs> oh I don't know I'm, I'm a great believer that we are all a work in progress mm. all the time so probably quite a lot <laughs> I probably wouldn't have admitted this a year ago but like I would absolutely love to write a book I think and actually I want to just write more it's something I've realized I do really enjoy so yeah that's that's one thing and it's funny because as soon as you start to admit things like that little like opportunities to get involved in different projects and stuff they just start to emerge and I think mm. that's one funny things about your self-limiting beliefs that you almost like close your ears off to the universe of these opportunities and then as soon as you kind of say something out loud it starts to materialize so that's definitely something that again makes me feel a bit vulnerable but at some point I'd absolutely love to write a book and in the future I would also like to run my own business and again I probably don't think I've ever really said that but yeah and so I, I think if you start to connect the dots of purpose and impact my podcast and stuff they are heading towards a direction and I had um, a coach once who said something which I thought was really interesting like people who are very focused on great results achievement for their team achievement in their professional life achievement outside doing lots of things and quite often want to know all of the answers and so sometimes you're like, okay, what is that thing on my to-do list? What is that thing I have to tick off next? What are the, you know, tick, tick, tick. And so I'm almost like to reframe the question a little bit. It's just keeping on being curious about what that could look like and listening, almost like listening out to those signals of things that I'm passionate about and just letting it, like, so I don't know 100% what I want to do 10, 20 years from now, but keeping on listening to those signals and bearing in mind, okay, so I, I've identified I do want to write a book. I would like to run a business. How can I carve and move? And what are those smaller things on the to-do list that can help me get there? You're very inspiring, Zara. It's been brilliant speaking to you. And yeah, it's fascinating listening to you. You've got little pearls of wisdom dropping out all over the place. So thank you very like much for your time this morning. I know you're a very busy lady and I do appreciate it. And thank you. Yeah, thank you for all you do is with Bloom as well. I know that can't be easy to add that onto a already quite hectic work life so thank you for that too brilliant thanks so much Kim and thanks for inviting me on I think it's a brilliant thing to do it's so important to share your learning so that other people can learn absolutely so yeah thank you Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.